Hello, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Burn Your Draft, an exploration of the Reed College senior thesis process and experience. Today, our executive producer and Reed alumnus, Seth Paskin, interviews Mitzi Zittler about her thesis. Pack your bags because Burn Your Draft is taking a trip down the West Coast as Reed alumna Mitzi Zittler tells us about her economic analysis of real-time wholesale electricity prices in this area. Welcome, Mitzi. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Okay, let's get started. So give me your full name, where you're from, your department, and your graduation date. Uh, my name is Mitzi Zittler. I'm from New Orleans, Louisiana of the United States. Uh, I was in the economics department, and I graduated in 2019. Great. So what was the title of your thesis? My thesis was an econometric analysis of real-time wholesale electricity prices at major West Coast hubs. Well, that's pretty descriptive, and we'll definitely get into more detail in a minute, but why did you choose that topic? I was actually approached by a former alum slash professor who was working on a case for the Sacramento Municipal Utility District against the Bonneville Power Administration here in Oregon. Do you want to name that person, or do you want them to remain anonymous? Oh, yeah. Lon Peters. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, yeah, he's part of the Reed community, um, and he needed a research assistant to gather data, come up with some sort of storyline, um, and it was, it fit perfectly into the thesis process. So I turned my research into my thesis, and I could not have been happier. So I'm not an economist. My background is in philosophy, and I'm sure many of our listeners are also not economists. Yeah. So if you were going to summarize your thesis in layman's terms, how would you do that? It is about this recent, well, 2017 policy that uh, the Bonneville Power Administration, so a major electricity provider in Oregon, um, put in place to charge more for the transmission of electricity from Oregon to LA, essentially, and how that policy change affected wholesale electricity prices across the West Coast. There's a whole system of wholesale electricity traders everywhere across the United, everywhere, something I didn't know before I started. And all of these entities are selling electricity to and from each other. Wow, okay. So you're telling us the Bonneville Power Administration sells electricity from Oregon to California. Is Oregon a net producer of electricity or a net consumer of electricity? Net producer, definitely. Oh, interesting. So tell us a little bit more. Let's go a little bit deeper into the thesis topic. You set out to determine how the policy change affected wholesale prices. Did you have a hypothesis when you set out? Uh, was it just an analysis of data, historical data, or real-time data? Tell us a little bit more about the method. So all the data was historical, essentially government data, um, because there's a bunch of oversight on all of the data and processes related to electricity. Um, and Lon and I started out with the hypothesis that this policy would increase prices in Oregon and decrease prices in LA. 
Okay, help me understand your hypothesis. So it's about the Bonneville Power Administration sending more or charging more to the consumers in Los Angeles. So what it is, is there's a premium on transmission lines, the actual infrastructure to move electricity. Um, mm -hmm. And that premium in September 2017 went from $3.50 per unit to $9.50. Whoa. Yeah. It, it three times itself. Uh, mm -hmm. It tripled. The Bonneville Power Administration, which has more market power than other players in this market, raised the price of transmission down to Southern California, which in effect lowered prices in Oregon at this Oregon hub, which hurt Oregon sellers of electricity. It was done to protect the Oregon entities, the the Portland General Electric, the the people who sell and trade in electricity here, um, and it ended up hurting Oregon. So the BPA raised the price of transmission of electricity down to California with the intent to protect buyers in Oregon. But what, in fact, they did was harm the Oregon buyers by harming other Oregon resellers of electricity? Yeah. So it's hard to wrap your head around because <laughs> <laughs> um, as, as I've demonstrated, it's hard to wrap your head around because it's not so much about the consumers as it is about the, the companies themselves, the wholesale traders, um, mm -hmm. which, which will ultimately affect the consumers, the people like me who buy Oregon electricity the BPA's policy was done to protect entities like itself who make and sell and trade in Oregon primarily here. The hypothesis going in was that this policy change, this increase in the price of transmission, um, which tripled the price to move electricity from Oregon Pacific Northwest to LA Southern California, the hypothesis was that this policy, instead of helping Oregon Pacific Northwest entities actually hurt them in some shape or form. Presumably that harm would come from lowering prices, which means that now until markets adjust, Oregon entities are gonna be selling at more of a loss. Okay, so that was the hypothesis going in and what did you find out from the research? It found that prices decreased here in the Pacific Northwest. It should have also shown that prices increased in Southern California. Uh, instead, it showed that prices increased at Northern California, which is sort of along the same lines, but that's definitely something that was left as a puzzle to figure out more about. So your research uncovered unexpected outcomes which are inviting further research? Yeah, definitely. All of this research was used in a lawsuit against uh, the BPA, the Bonneville Power Administration, which means that, I don't know, it was used for an interesting end. So hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait a second here. You've introduced a wild card. Uh, who brought the lawsuit? So it was the Southern California like coalition of energy 
districts, specifically the Sacramento Municipal Utility District is who first noticed that this policy change, while it looked at face value to be hurting Southern California because you're raising the price to move electricity north-south, probably also harmed others in the game, namely the people up north, the Pacific Northwest. Interesting. So another unintended consequence was that your research was used in a lawsuit against the Bonneville Power Administration? Well, that was actually the intention of the thesis. <laughs> it was your intention? Uh, okay. What are you, from Sacramento? No, <laughs> but I support their right to, to protest. Um, ah, okay. Interesting. Well, it sounds like you set out to s accomplish something very specific with your thesis, and you did. Uh, tell me about some of the bumps in the road. You know, did you have obstacles with data access or policy issues or anything else? And how did you overcome them? Data access was definitely a problem. I used over a dozen large government issue data sets. Um, and because I was connected to the people who were bringing this lawsuit, I was able to leverage that into access to some of the more obscure data sets about natural gas prices um, and water levels. But the biggest issue that I didn't see coming was the number of independent variables in this calculation, essentially. There are many okay. things that would determine the price of electricity that go every which way. Okay, so you're using some technical language there. When you talk about independent variables, you're talking about all of the potential inputs or factors that could affect the output we're interested in, which is price, which is also known as the dependent variable. And you were surprised by the number or maybe the variety of all the independent variables that were affecting it? The number and the variety, we ended up using the level of water at water reservoirs connected to hydroelectric plants. There were some things that seemed so tangentially related, but turned out to be important and significant. And it was this interesting place where theory meets actual real world data. And how do you convert these like high-minded econ ideas into an actual data set with real mm -hmm. numbers? Yeah. So you went into the analysis with an idea about what you thought the significant variables were going to be and came out with a very different idea. And it was heartbreaking when not all of them <laughs> turned out to be significant in the end because I dug for them. Well, we of the Reed community appreciate your intellectual integrity and <laughs> not making significant things that weren't simply because you desired to see them as significant. What skills did you acquire or strengthen while you did your thesis? So it was an econometric thesis, which is essentially the marriage between economics and statistics. So I left the thesis process with a lot more statistics acumen than I thought I would. I thought I knew statistics before I went in, but I really know statistics now. And that's really interesting. Uh, and it definitely gave me a lot of invaluable experience working with big data, managing data, sets in a very conceptual type way. 
So those are the hard skills. What about working with people who are filing lawsuits or uh, policy issues? Uh, what about more of that social or soft skill aspect? Yeah, um, it was interesting working with uh, someone who wasn't my advisor on a majority of my work. A lot of my communication with Lon, who was instrumental in the whole process, was done remotely. We had like three hours of phone calls every week because there's a lot about the electricity industry itself that is not very intuitive. And you have to know a lot about how these markets operate to even begin to think about doing an analysis of them. So it gave me good experience with communication, even when communication isn't readily available, when you have to seek out communication and schedule communication. Do you think these skills then that you've honed, developed, and furthered as part of doing the read thesis are going to inform your life after read? Definitely. I think they already have. What's an example of that? Well, I think I've I think I've learned to be a lot more professional in how I communicate and in how I do my work. And that once you've established a level of professionalism with your coworkers, with your superiors, a sort of easygoing, like more relaxed communication is more possible and maybe more inviting and it might help a lot in how you get your work done. And it helps me figure out the line between professionalism and friendliness. Yeah. And where those two can meet. Interesting. I I feel like you're dancing around something here because what I'm hearing you say is that if you can set expectations, establish a kind of professional interaction, meet those expectations and thus get a level of trust with somebody, it relaxes the relationship and makes it easier to communicate. Is, is that what you're saying? Am I getting that right? No, that's definitely it. Okay. Well, what's really interesting about your thesis is that it wasn't strictly academic. That is, it wasn't contained within the walls of Reed or the Ivory Tower, that there, was, there were real world, there was something in the real world at stake. Yeah. Yeah. And millions of something at stake. <laughs> millions of something at stake. And so this wasn't just some whimsical theoretical project. Uh, it w- had real world implications and you had to adapt to that. And uh, you kind of went through a maturation process. Yeah, it was definitely a symbiotic relationship. Um, I feel like I gained a lot. I feel like Lon, by virtue of you know, having the data that he needed and the research that he needed also gained a lot. Um, and it was, it was very valuable to both to get this academic project done in a really unconventional way um, and to be able to connect my academics to, yeah, a very tangible real world problem and work with something that felt very grounded. That's awesome. So I guess we can begin to wrap up. I've got a couple more questions. Uh, The first is, what's the status of the lawsuit, and what are you up to now? Uh, The lawsuit, I believe, got thrown out for something that was 
unrelated to the case, I advised a little bit on the rebuttals and the testimony, uh, not to overstate my role, but those electricity head honchos can get very nasty in their litigation. Yeah, well, it's kind of an ugly scene right now with the electricity people in California. Yeah, I've been reading about that. <laughs> definitely, definitely not great. I'm continuing to work with big data, which is cool. I feel like my thesis experience is, well, it is right at the top of my resume. And it's something that I talk about in the work environment all the time. And I think it was definitely a big part of why I got the job that I have now, which is working with big data. Cool. You want to give any more specifics on that or are you in black ops? <laughs> I, uh, I work with like, credit card data and email data, et cetera, for a finance investment research firm here in Portland. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Mitzi, for your time and for sharing your journey through the Read Thesis experience and for joining us here on this podcast. Thank you. All Thank right. you for doing this. Thank you, Mitzi, for your time and for telling us about your thesis and the amount and kinds of work that went into it. Thank you for listening, and I hope you join us again to talk to more seniors about their thesis and better understand why you'd want to burn your draft. If you want to learn more about Seth Paskin, check out our live performed podcast episode where I interview Seth on his podcast career, senior thesis, and so much more. Burn Your Draft is a production of Reed College and the Center for Life Beyond Reed, created jointly by students, alumni, and staff. This episode was produced and engineered by me, Reed College student Frank Tangerlini. Our executive producer is Seth Paskin, class of 1990, with technical advising from staff member Joe Janiga. Nate Martin, staff member in class of 2016, is our project manager. Music by Jack Salvucci, class of 2020, and podcast art by alumni Henry Gotchlik and Lillianne Pham, class of 2020. This podcast was made possible by a gift from Seth Paskin. Another shout out to Jack Salvucci. You can find them as Boy Talks on Spotify, Bandcamp, and more.